we weren't prepared for the hurricanes. We weren't prepared for the earthquakes. And we're definitely weren't prepared for this global health emergency. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, how a group of Puerto Rican scientists got together to fight back against the coronavirus. Puerto Rico was not in good shape when the first cases of COVID-19 appeared back in February. The island is still going through a severe economic depression, and it's still recovering from the devastation left by back-to-back hurricanes Irma and Maria in 2017. After Hurricane Maria, hospitals and clinics throughout the island were overwhelmed. In Puerto Rico, the government says one of its top priorities is restoring power to the island's hospitals. And people you can imagine all over this island may be in desperate condition. Maybe they need dialysis. Maybe they've run out of their antihypertensive medicines, but they simply cannot ask for help. Many of the deaths in Puerto Rico came in the days, weeks, and months after the hurricane struck last September, raising new questions about the federal and local response. And experts estimate that almost 3,000 people died as a result. Then, just one month before the coronavirus crisis started to spread globally, a string of earthquakes and tremors rocked the southern part of the island. In Puerto Rico, a state of emergency has been declared after a 6.4 magnitude earthquake struck in the early hours of yesterday morning. Several houses and buildings crumbled, at least one public school plummeted to the ground, and some area hospitals had to be evacuated. We felt tremors throughout the night and this morning. We can expect more seismic activity in the days to come. With a vulnerable population and a precarious healthcare system, experts warn that without an adequate response to the pandemic, the toll on the island from COVID-19 could be 10 times deadlier than Hurricane Maria's. And because I felt that the government, the local government was not telling the story that we needed to hear in order to understand what we were gonna face during this pandemic, I started reaching out to scientists Edmi Ayala has been reporting on this story from early on. She's a co-founder of the local media outlet, Nueve Millones, and she's focused on the efforts of the scientific community in Puerto Rico and its diaspora to fight the virus. Edmi Ayala, welcome to Latino USA. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Maria. So, Edmi, take me back to the moment when you remember first hearing about COVID-19 on the island. So the first cases reported in Puerto Rico with COVID-19 were tourists in late February. And the first case that tested positive uh, that I heard about was an Italian tourist who arrived aboard a cruise ship called Costa Luminosa. There was some concern. We had hospitals that had suffered damage after the uh, earthquakes. Our hospitals were not uh, overwhelmed then, but there was the concern that they could become overwhelmed if the system did not do something to prevent the virus from spreading. So that is why I talked to Dr. Kenira Thompson, who is vice president of research at the Ponce Health Sciences University, because she has led the efforts from her research team to bring relief after hurricanes and then the 2020 earthquakes. So she's been through it all. 
These hospitals, they were in the process of fixing the damage that had occurred due to the earthquakes when the pandemic struck and construction had to be halted. And this limited the number of ICU units, intensive care units available. So, Edmi, when you describe the situation on the island, it really does sound like one thing after another and a lack of preparedness at every turn. So, in the case of this pandemic, what was the Puerto Rican government's response? Well, Maria, they were very slow to start. It felt surreal because at the same time as the whole world was facing COVID-19, our public health department was in denial. And the health secretary at the time even said that the virus was not going to reach us because there are no direct flights from China to Puerto Rico. So seeing how the government was being so inactive, I really started reaching out to Puerto Rican scientists. And one of these scientists is Dr. Daniel Colon Ramos. He's a neuroscientist who runs a lab out of Yale University. So when I hear the Secretary of Health in Puerto Rico saying that something that's becoming a pandemic will never make it to Puerto Rico, I become really concerned because that means that they're not only unprepared, but completely oblivious to the dangers that are in the horizon. At this point, it's late February, and by now there is a sense that there is a deadly pandemic, that it is, again, worldwide, and it's already at the doorstep of Puerto Rico, and the local health department doesn't seem to be preparing for it. I mean, it does begin to sound like a, a recipe for disaster. Yes, yes, it, it does. And it did back at that time. And that is why Dr. Kenita Thompson started crunching the numbers with her team and making statistical models to try and predict the impact of the virus in Puerto Rico. Because until then, Maria, we really did not know what was going on. And this was done extremely quickly in less than 24 hours. So we very early on identified that there was the potential for this to spread. According to Dr. Colon Ramos, at that time, um, there was a grim projection that between 15,000 to 60,000 people would die if nothing was done. And you have to understand, Maria, these projections take into account a lot of factors. So that is why the projections are so wide ranging. But even 15,000 people for an island with a population of 3 million is a lot. I know some people might hear those numbers now and say, wow, that was an exaggeration. But, you know, if, if they think so, they're really blinded to the fact that that happened in Lombard in Italy. They're blinded to the fact that that happened in New York. And had that happened in Puerto Rico, it would have been much worse because the health systems in Italy and the health systems in New York are far stronger than ours. We all know what happened during the hurricane when the hospitals lost capacity. And people died because they couldn't perform dialysis. And seeing how weakened our hospital system was, we know that the situation here in Puerto Rico could have been a replay of all those things. Was the government aware of these projections that these scientists were coming up with? What did they do about this? Well, there was really one thing to do. El 12 de marzo decreté un estado de emergencia por la situación que atraviesa Puerto Rico y el mundo a raíz del coronavirus COVID-19. 
put the whole island on lockdown. So Governor Wanda Vasquez did just that. On March 15th, Puerto Rico became one of the first, if not the first, jurisdiction to do a full lockdown. And what made this lockdown so strict is that basically, if you were in the streets after 9 p.m., you could go to jail or you could be fined. And I'm talking to you in early June, Maria, and we're still with a police-enforced curfew. Now it is from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m., but that is what experts were recommending, a full lockdown. The scientific literature had indicated that this drastic type of measure needed to happen because we knew that we had limited testing capacity, that we really had no way to do contact tracing. It surprised a lot of people because politically it meant maybe a blow for the governor's reelection campaign. I don't know. When you think about it, it really sounds like the lockdown on the island was really the only option. But how does the government follow up? Lockdown and then what? So we knew the virus had arrived, but we didn't know who was infected or how they got infected. So that is why mass testing and contact tracing is so important because it accomplishes that. And even with the really strict stay-at-home orders in place, if you don't identify and isolate the people who have COVID-19, the virus is still a threat. It's still out there. So at this point, the capacity of testing from the health department was very low. They were doing around 150 tests a day in their lab. And what I felt was like, was like hell snow. So Dr. Colón Ramos is actually an expert in both scientific capacity in Puerto Rico and PCR molecular testing. So he knew that we could do more. My constant battle is for the implementation of the right strategies because this is an opportunity that I would not like to see Puerto Rico lose. And the problem was that the government agency that was supposed to take the lead in making these tests was facing challenges of its own. In the span of two weeks, Maria, we had three health secretaries and a scandal broke. Officials in Puerto Rico are struggling to test possible COVID-19 patients. This after the governor there canceled a $38 million contract to buy a million test kits. And the debacle that has been the ability to get more tests involved the government using a construction company that had no experience with medical supplies. So it turned into quite a scandal. But as of last week, Puerto Rico is reporting a testing rate lower than any U.S. state at an abysmal average of 15 tests a day for every 100,000 people. The health department was trying to purchase faulty rapid tests from a construction company based in Puerto Rico for $38 million. And this local company was trying to buy these tests from a little-known provider in Australia. It all seemed super shady. Luckily, the purchase was stopped at the last second, but the whole affair is currently under investigation. So... This just gets stranger and stranger, this story. But sadly, what we're talking about is people's lives. So at this point, the tests are now scarce. There's, you know, this real concern about corruption. So at this point, was there any way to get massive testing underway in a way that was appropriate and smart and correct? 
it was a reality. Puerto Rico was at the bottom of the list uh, of testing in U.S. jurisdictions. And scientists just came together to really try to revamp our testing capacity. And they tapped into this huge network of more than 13,000 mostly Puerto Rican scientists, students, and educators uh, from an organization that is called Ciencia Puerto Rico. And they, with the Puerto Rico Science, Technology, and Research Trust, which is an NGO that also advocates for science here, uh, came together with the Ponce Health Sciences University. They got together with the biggest clinical testing labs in Puerto Rico. We convene as scientists, we convene again the groups that are doing these tests, and we got the precise numbers of tests that they're unable to access. And they made up a consortium. The consortium that we ended up forming, the scientists, with these clinical reference laboratories enabled us to not only understand the barriers they were facing, but also the ability they had to do tests. And you have to remember, Maria, most of these scientists have day jobs. They run labs, they're teaching and doing research, but they're really focused and we're determined to help Puerto Rico. We were scared. We were really trying to expand our testing capacity, and that was challenging. And communicating with the government was not that easy. But nonetheless, we kept moving forward. Coming up on Latino USA. This is a situation where you have a tipping point in which Puerto Rico will make history as one of the few places that could be COVID-free, or it can tip over in the other direction where this health system collapses. Stay with us, no te vayas. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com Latino to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. This week on It's Been a Minute, I talk out the news with my Aunt Betty. I'm more concerned about the black men that I love than anything in the world because I just don't want to get that call. Also, parenting in the age of Black Lives Matter and the history of police reform. Listen and subscribe to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We're back, and I'm joined by Edmi Ayala. She's co-founder of the Puerto Rican news outlet Nueve Millones. Before the break, Edmi was telling us about the lack of critical COVID testing in Puerto Rico. As we return to our conversation now, Edmi tells me the story of a group of Puerto Rican scientists who refused to take no for an answer 
as they came together to ramp up massive testing on the island. So, I mean, this sounds like a pretty extraordinary task that these scientists decide to take on. Kind of forward thinking, strategic planning, massive prepping, essentially the job that the government in Puerto Rico wasn't doing. So they knew what they wanted to do, but did they have a strategy to make the testing happen? So if you remember, Maria, it, it was exactly one day after the full lockdown in Puerto Rico. On March 16th, the World Health Organization's message to the world and the world's leaders was testing, testing, testing. And at that point, we had five positive cases and no deaths. But those two numbers were on the rise and the consortium was advocating for a specific type of test, the PCR test, which Dr. Daniel Colon Ramos happens to be an expert in. I never imagined that I was going to see the day where a governor was going to stand up in a podium and talk about PCR molecular tests. Like this is a technique that I've been doing my whole life, almost daily. It's, I'm an expert on it. I know it very well. And I never imagined that somebody would be interested in hearing how it works. You may know, Edmi, that I never got a COVID-19 test, but I was sick. And I recently did get an antibody test here in New York City, and I did test positive. Well, firstly, I'm glad you're, you're okay, Maria. It was not fun, but now I'm super healthy. Thank God. Well, I'm glad to hear that, really. But actually, you're a good example as to how this antibody test should be used because they detect the antibodies that the body produces after being infected by the virus. And that happens after about two weeks of getting infected. That's the difference between antibody tests and PCR molecular tests. The PCR is a diagnostic test that detects if you have the virus at that precise moment. The presence of the antibodies, I like to make the analogy of the difference between seeing a person walking on the beach and seeing their footsteps, like their, their footprints in the beach. Dr. Colon Ramos is actually recognized among his peers as Mr. Analogy. He's been very good at explaining the science behind the health response through interviews and even social media. If you see footprints in the beach, you know that somebody was there for sure, but you don't know who he was. And you don't know when they were there. And it's very similar, actually, for this uh, antibody test. You could have had the virus two days before, or you could have had the virus three months before, depending on your conditions of the body, the antibodies that your body produced, the type of virus, etc. So when you have a result for that test, you don't really know if you have the virus. So the molecular PCR tests, those are the ones that Dr. Colon Ramos and Dr. Thompson and the rest of the team These are the ones that they're trying to get going in Puerto Rico because with these tests, you can immediately see who has the virus, right? And you don't have to wait for the antibodies to form. Yes, exactly. They are the ones that entail a swab being inserted up your nose. Way up there and it scrapes around and it collects a sample of secretions from that area. The sample in that swab is preserved by a special pink liquid that is called a transport agent. And the pink liquid is used to contain and keep the virus alive so you can do the testing. So from the beginning, this issue of we don't have enough swabs and we definitely don't have enough transport medium to be able to handle the testing volume that, that we were facing as a group. 
So this type of tools were in high global demand because at the same time, every country in the world is needing them. And this posed a challenge for the team. So scientists from the diaspora got in touch with CEOs of pharmaceutical companies to get these supplies. But these companies were categorizing Puerto Rico as an independent country, not a territory of the U.S. And those companies, they said, look, we're making our priority list based on recommendations from HHS in the federal government. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And Puerto Rico is not a priority. So we, that's unacceptable, right? So it's actually a, a catch-22 because Puerto Rico is part of the U.S. and it is subject to federal regulations. And federal regulations affect local response. So Dr. Colón Ramos told me that not seeing Puerto Rico on those lists makes him feel frustrated. Every time I see a list of countries I look for, Puerto Rico is not present. Then you see a list of territories of the U.S. and states and Puerto Rico is not present. It's almost like a place that doesn't exist. And so as a Puerto Rican, like my scientific identity has very much been linked to giving a voice to the fact that this place exists and is part of the world and can contribute. I mean, this is just fascinating because it just goes to show how doctors, scientists, medical professionals, you know, they can make decisions about what they want to do with their lives and their professions in a moment like this in a worldwide pandemic. So at this point, Edmi, what does the consortium do? They've got this idea. How do they get their hands on the supplies? So, Maria, they got creative. Ingenuity seems to come very easily in Puerto Rico during hard times, honestly. There's uh, this doctor called uh, Ricardo Papa. He's a professor in the University of Puerto Rico. And he remembered that he had a company that made these swaps in his hometown back in Italy. And it actually turns out to be the main factory that makes these swaps in planet Earth, in the whole, in the whole planet. And so he personally contacts the owner And after a few conversations in Italian, he was able to ship into Puerto Rico about 20,000 of these swaps that are so, so fundamental for testing. It was that level of networking and ingenuity that, that enabled us to solve the problem. But one of my favorite and most exciting stories and even heartwarming is that of Dr. Thompson's team deciding to hack and make their own transport medium. Uh, that if you remember, Maria, it was a pink liquid I was telling you about earlier. And we said, you know what? What could possibly be in this ventral transport medium that we couldn't make? So we started doing our research and trying to figure out what it was. And sure enough, we put together a recipe. We had all the ingredients that were needed. And this viral transport medium was concocted. Dr. Colón Ramos actually says that this happening was a turning point. I think for the community and, and for the laboratories, both in their ability to perform the test, but also in how they imagine their own roles in making sure that testing could happen in Puerto Rico, no matter the barriers that the world was facing. When this group of scientists and private labs started meeting, Puerto Rico was only doing no more than 150 tests a day. But now they're doing 3,000 and they're aiming to do more. And we estimate that we can easily break 5,000 tests a day, which is what the territory will need to be able to respond to this pandemic.
So at this point, you've got this commitment from Puerto Rican scientists around the world to basically change the reality, to not take this pandemic sitting down. The island goes from 150 daily tests to 3,000 daily tests. At this point, how does Puerto Rico now compare to other places? Well, according to Dr. Colon Ramos, they've done around 100,000 tests in total. So I can tell you this, Puerto Rico is no longer in the very bottom of the list. Give us a sense of what's happening now. There's a lot of pressure on the mainland to reopen in a lot of places. Other places like New York are still on a pretty strict lockdown. So is Puerto Rico ready to reopen? What's the sentiment of the people? We're actually in the second phase of our reopening, which happened in the last week of May. But people are worried because of the lack of data. We still don't really understand or cannot grasp how the virus is impacting the whole island because of this lack of data reporting. Currently, the local health department is reporting 138 deaths and a total of almost 4,000 cases. And there's really a sense that the government has not been transparent with the science behind their decisions. We need to establish these approaches of the correct testing, the correct uh, reporting of data, transparency, accuracy in the reporting. So so that's what we don't have. So, Maria, Dr. Colón Ramos told me that this can go two ways. Puerto Rico will make history as one of the few places that could be COVID-free. Or it can tip over in the other direction where this health system collapses, where you have exponential infections and and the health system can just not manage. Uh, the difference between those two outcomes are the decisions that are being made right now. So what's your sense of how people are reacting about this? And, and if you're feeling like it's safe for the island to begin to open back up again? Well, it's really hard to tell what the future may bring. And I think globally, it's the reality we're facing as a planet, uh, as humans in the middle of this pandemic. But no matter what happens, we can look back on this and see two things. First, the strict government mandated lockdown worked and it saved lives. And second, the government got a lot of help from an amazing network of scientists, institutions, and private labs that really got together to help Puerto Rico at a time where the COVID-19 pandemic could have really gotten out of control in the island. It's not over yet, and it's not clear that the right decisions will be made going forward. But what we do know is that Puerto Rican scientists all over the world are looking after us. And Maria, I won't lie to you. It's pretty comforting to know that during these hard times and uncertain times, we have a group like that looking after our island. We wish you the best, Edney, and for the entire island of Puerto Rico, Bendiciones, as we say. Muchas gracias, Edmi. Gracias a ustedes. (laughs) 
This episode was produced by Edna Ayala and Camille Padilla with help from Luis Treyes and Miguel Macias. It was edited by Sofia Palizacá. The Latino USA team includes Antonia Cerejido, Janice Amoca, Chiri Montalvo, Alisa Escarce, and Alejandra Salazar with help from Raúl Pérez. Special thanks to Drs. Monica Feyu Mojer and Giovanna Guerrero Medina of Ciencia PR and Dr. Marcos Lopez Casillas of the Puerto Rico Science Trust. Our engineers are Stephanie LeBeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw. Our director of programming and operations is Natalia Fidelholz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our New York Women's Foundation Ignite Fellow is Julia Rocha. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of our social media and I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima, mi gente. Ciao. Funding for Latino USA's coverage of A Culture of Health is made possible in part by a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Latino USA is made possible in part by The Annie E. Casey Foundation creates a brighter future for the nation's children by strengthening families, building greater economic opportunity, and transforming communities. And Carnegie Corporation, promoting the advancement and diffusion of knowledge and understanding. It it makes us feel safe, like when you see the, the, the press conferences from the governor. <laughs> I'm Maria Hinojosa, next time on Latino USA. The protests against police brutality are bringing up complex dialogues about identity, race, and responsibility. A conversation with Afro-Latina activist and historian Rosa Clemente. What do Latinos and Latinas need to discuss and do in this historic moment? That's next time on Latino USA.